0: Welcome to the faculty podcast brought to you by Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Part of a 50-plus year endeavor to train pastors and other church leaders in the ministry of the gospel in the United States and around the world. My name is Scott Redd. I'm the president here and professor of Old Testament. I'm joined by my colleagues, instructor of New Testament and senior pastor at New City Church, Paul Jeanne, our academic dean and New Testament professor, Dr. Tommy Keene our professor of Old Testament and Dean of Students, and back from a long uh, a long hiatus from this forum uh, for his sabbatical. But he's returned to be with us now, Dr. Peter Lee. Welcome, brothers. Good to be with you guys all once again. We missed I, you, man. I have missed
1: you all as well.
0: Yeah. Gray Sutanto is not with us today mm. because he is out shopping for cars. I mean... I don't know what to say. It's good to
2: have him here and to experience American culture in this very unique way. (laughs)
0: That's right. Purchasing a car. Purchasing a car, yes. We had a a WhatsApp thread about car purchasing and everyone was giving advice to the Sutantos. And uh, you do realize how absurd of a ritual this is in the United States, the the process of buying a car.
1: Although I have to say the process, Tommy, that you laid out was uh was was awesome. I'm going to do that the next time I go out and buy a car. It's kind of like shop talking. Around. It's kind of like talking about your wordle
2: strategies. Really, it's it's yeah. very. Everybody's got their own idiosyncratic method of, of car purchasing. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. What's everyone's
0: philosophy? Shop around. Shop around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> be be willing to walk away. That was my advice today. Be be willing to walk away. If you can walk away, you'll be okay. Yep.
2: You know, hmm. know what I you know what you, know what
1: you want. Know what you want. Yep. Call five dealers. You got to be kind of you know you know you got to be willing to to know how to do that and not not get pushed around though. So, not
2: know. if you buy a Tesla.
0: That's right. Well, there's no, no, no there. haggling.
1: There you go. You you a you know you hang out with different kinds of people than I do. I don't hang out with no contrary
0: to
2: popular people. opinion. Um, Tesla is not expensive if you compare it to Toyota and uh, Honda. and you, and, and you, you uh, save on the gas bill so Tesla, if you're listening, just know
1: I'm
0: marketing right. on your behalf <laughs> <I deserve laughs> some, some s- sort of discount free advertising fair enough we're also a
2: new another new thing is we're also all in person and uh our our recorder. Timo Sazo has uh, given us a lot of rules to follow about not banging our coffee or swirling our chairs and things like that. It's going to be really, very challenging. Yeah, it's really
0: kind of draconian measures, I think, guys. I'm not sure if you all share that. But but it is good to be in person.
1: <laughs> it is.
0: It is. Dr. Lee, tell us, you've been sabbathing now for... What the, the better part of seven months or so? About seven months, yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't seem to have atrophied physically, which sometimes happens during these sabbaticals. But you seem fresh. You seem ready to go. You're you're ready to get back in the game. First of all, can you do tell me this? How do you think about a sabbatical? There's a lot of people listening to this who will never take a sabbatical. They'll never have that opportunity. How do you? How does one approach having seven months of relative freedom? To rest and work on projects uh, that uh, catch your fancy. Tell me how you thought about this going into it last June.
1: Well, I mean, you know, uh, this is my second sabbatical from, and uh, my first, obviously, seven years ago, and uh, and it was something that I enjoyed. So I had a a set idea of what I wanted to do, kind of based on that previous one. I think it's. Um, you know, in general, a sabbatical is a good idea. It is kind of required for us in terms of the Ten Commandments, as you guys all know, that we do need rest. It's sort of built into our nature as as creatures. We have limited strength, and, and we need that time to kind of recuperate and to be refreshed. Uh, you know, it's something I would definitely recommend for professors and pastors. You know, uh, in my denomination, the OP, they've been doing a lot of discussions about ways to really uh, care for pastors well and one of the things that has been highly discussed has been the encouragement for congregations to give pastors a sabbatical not you know seven months perhaps is a little longer uh from a church context so something shorter uh, you know i've heard of they have actually systems set up where they can take a three-month break presbytery step in to kind of fill in the needs and things of that nature i, I really appreciate that strategy that the OP has put on, and I'm sure you have similar processes in the PCA and uh, other other uh, churches um, uh, as well. You know, sabbatical, and I've shared this with you guys, and uh, I've kind of come in and out of here over the last six months or so, and and uh, and I've shared this with you that you know, sabbatical is great, but at the same time, it's not like work was miserable for me.
0: You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's one of
1: the blessings that. That I had that you you've know. got it.
0: You've got a good boss though. Mm.
1: I, I have a he's great boss. boss. I I love my boss yeah, That helps. He, he's you got a good team. Just a good I boss. have a great team, too wow. I'm the weak link in the chain. I'm so sur- I mean you guys were better off without me. Your podcasts were great. It's true, all true. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm gonna go back on sabbatical <laughs>
2: Hey Peter, but you know, can you walk us through this? So the longest sabbatical I ever had was uh, six weeks, and I noticed that I was actually not resting during the first four weeks. It almost took me four
1: weeks to start, you know,
2: uh, going on a rest.
1: What was your was actual experience? Like? It, it was the same. It, it took me like a, a little over a month to kind of because you know, to a certain degree, our lifestyles as busy as they are and everyone's is is uh, need. We are rhythmic. You know, we have a certain routine, and so. For me, it used to be that on any given day of the week, I knew what I needed to do uh, on that day. And, and that was my rhythm from week to week to week. Um, now, sabbatical's here. Now I that rhythm is gone. Mm-hmm. Now what do I do? Uh, you kind of have to create a whole new pattern. And, and just to set a schedule and know, you know, now on Monday, I'm going to do this. Now on Tuesday, I'm going to do that. It looks great on paper, but to kind of put that into a uh, kind of a, a habitual, it, I mean, it took a lot of time, and uh, so it almost took a month, almost two, to just kind of get out of that system and know how to be productive in a whole new way. So, um, so six weeks, I you know, it's better than nothing, I guess. You know, uh, uh, three months seems reasonable in terms of a, a, a time for for guys to kind of learn how to. If I can quote a Star Wars, line, you have to kind of unlearn what you had learned, and then uh-huh. kind of build on, on to that. And and that did, that did take some uh, some time and uh, and adjustment. Yeah. And that's just you know that's just the way that we're wired.
0: Yeah, it, it's the sabbatical is a nod to the idea that in these kind of you know, in in academia and uh, intelligentsia in any kind of knowledge production vocation that there's two ways that the brain works, right? There's the day-to-day business, and then there's that deep engagement with the topic, that kind of deep dive into your area of expertise, and that you need that, that you need to take a moment and break from the day-to-day and dive deep into this area. And... That's why the sabbatical is—it's not, not a vacation, right? We're very clear. You know, you, you know that, and, and and we all know that. We're very clear. It's not a vacation. It's not a seven-month break to go sit on a beach in Fiji or something like that.
2: Unless you have a laptop
0: with you. That's fair enough. Fair enough. But but you know, it's it's you're supposed to be diving into your topic and diving into you know moving the field forward. So with that, and 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 I know you were able to do that because we talked about it. But maybe you can share with us what did you focus on in terms of your field of old testament what was the area of study that you dived into well
1: i guess that's another thing is you know the sabbatical uh you know allowed it gave you the opportunity to work on projects that you enjoy that you really want to that you may not have had time to really focus on so yeah i had my list of things i really wanted to work on personally and then other projects that were uh that were um that i had agreed to do Previously, so uh, one thing that I did uh, was a, uh, a a layman's commentary on Leviticus. Mm. That was great. Um, it, it'd been a while since I just really worked through. Uh, in fact, I lo- I enjoyed it so much. Uh, I think I want to make that a regular annual thing. That you mm. just take a book of scripture, or you know, depending on what size book you're dealing with, and, and just kind of work through. You don't have to be detailed and work through all the uh uh specifics but just to kind of get a general picture of each section per section and for so for me uh to do that uh was really rewarding did you did you got, was, it, it, was it gospel Coalition? it was the the gospel coalition has an online mm-hmm. commentary resource and and they uh mm-hmm. asked different uh people to work on different things and i was asked to do Leviticus.
2: Do you go verse by verse, or because it, it, it's kind of traditional commentary? Is more
1: like reader's guide? It was more of section section yeah, by section. I like that. Uh, but I, I guess in my commentaries, I I wanted to account for each verse somehow mm-hmm. uh, and and address it, just at least mention it or something. So uh, so that was one thing that uh, I worked through. Um, you know, I mean, if there's a every book in the Old Testament as you know it just allows for a strong uh christ-centered mm-hmm. point of analysis right. but if there's um uh and in leviticus i mean that was so easy <laughs> it was hard not to at, at times and uh i remember tommy and i were talking about the leviticus commentary one point and and his comment and it, he meant it more in, in jest but it's so true It's just to say at the end Read the Book of Hebrews, yeah, and and so I was I was referring back to Hebrews mm-hmm. yeah. constantly all the all the time, and uh, so that was one project that was really great. I was asked to do a book review um, on uh, 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 an up and coming book by Brian Estelle on uh, I forget the exact title, but it deals with the theme of the spirituality of the church, uh, where he uh, challenges a lot of of um, the uh, neo Calvinistic uh, mentality that's going on out there, and and I mean, I'll tell you, for an Old Testament guy uh, who is treading outside of his area of particular specific training, he was very thorough. Yeah. I mean, his researching was uh, was significant, and uh, from what I can tell, pretty exhaustive. And and I think he de- definitely has a lot of good things to say historically. As well as scripturally and, and theologically, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and you know Brian's a close friend, and, and so I and and this is a project that we have been talking about personally for like twenty years, mm-hmm. so it's nice to see uh, the project uh, um, uh, come uh, finally get done. Mm-hmm. What was
2: his main angle again? Um, what was main angle, the book again? Uh, I
1: can't remember the exact <laughs> name, but uh, but again, it's dealing with the theme of the spirituality of the church, as you know, Brian is. Uh, teaches at Westminster, California, where they are very committed to a two kingdom uh theology very um very strong strongly and so his two kingdom themes really comes out uh in in the uh in the book and and as you all know I, I'm you know I'm not a two kingdom guy but I'm a very sympathetic two kingdom guy. Uh so um and I think that uh and again as I mentioned I think a lot of the things he raises in terms of certain uh, historical support uh, in some of the discussions with uh, Charles Hodge and others. Uh, he, he cites all of this uh, uh, and uh, goes into, he actually gets into current dialogue with uh, uh, certain contemporary uh, events and movements that have been going on that is, um, again, I, I think he has good things to say mm-hmm. that uh, is going to uh, uh, very be very challenging to, to some people mm-hmm. and um, and 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 definitely, I think is worthwhile. So anyhow, I have a book review on that. I, I wrote an article, and uh, this is sort of an homage, somewhat article to my teacher Meredith Klein, who uh, uh, he, he you know he was very uh, he was somewhat prolific in his publications, but he was selective. He never actually sat down and wrote an actual biblical theology, yeah. which is really unfortunate because that really would have been a nice way to kind of. uh uh uh, consolidate his thinking as a whole so he has a few things here and there you know the biggest thing that you can get to is his work on kingdom prologue but um the uh you know i've made no secret of my uh of my um affections for dr klein and his influences on me in spite of certain uh you know commentary that people (laughs) raise about his views on thing on, on certain things he has a uh uh, a lecture I recall on Deuteronomy 30, which is the um, a passage where uh, where the Lord talks about the uh, the significance and the importance of, of the Lord circumcising the hearts of His people, and uh, his lecture on Deuteronomy 30 is is unbelievable. It, it truly is fantastic. Yeah. In in some ways, it's almost Klein at his best. Uh, uh, dealing with the micro-exegesis of the Tiber text, seeing the impact of that on the prophets, uh, portraying almost a panorama of the history of salvation. And he does this all the time. Mm. And Deuteronomy 30 was just one of the great uh, uh, passages that he did. That for me as a student studying under Klein, the, the, to me the unfortunate thing, as far as I'm aware, is that he never published them. Uh, nowhere in his writings does he ever talk about Deuteronomy 30 the way that he did in his lectures. I mean, he cites it and he refers to it here and there, but um, and he offers uh, uh, a translational challenge of Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 3, or 1 through 14, uh, and he challenges the what I refer to as the consensus translation of Deuteronomy 30 that you find in uh, and pretty much everybody, commentators, uh, English translations, everyone, and and he challenges that. He differs of that. Now the difference is slight, but it really makes all the theological difference of the message of the passage. Uh, again, Klein at his best, he he does things all the time like that. And so, what, what's um, the what's the
2: payoff there? What's the the uh,
1: what what he suggests is. Um, in in the opening three verses of Deuteronomy 30, he essentially the consensus translation says basically, when the days come, when the blessings and the curses of the of the book of Deuteronomy have now have now come to pass. Uh, in other words, since this is the Deuteronomy 30, uh, 28 and 29 is basically all exile, so this is the days after the exile, essentially mm-hmm. post-exilic mm-hmm. setting. So when those days come, and you repent and you obey then the Lord will restore you back to, will reverse your restorations and restore you essentially mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. what it says in short summary. The question that Dr. Klein raised was the, uh, was the location of the grammatical hypothesis, so the then part of it. So it's basically a, when this happens, then this will happen. And the translations put the then in verse three, when this happens and you do this and you do this, then the Lord will do this what he says is that that's not right uh the the hypothesis actually the then actually for him says it should be back in verse one what that does is it changes the meaning of the passage no longer is restoration based and contingent on repentance and obedience repentance and obedience is in and of itself a covenant blessing just like restoration and um, which changes now kind of the message of Deuteronomy thirty. Yeah, same and,
2: propositions but different relations.
1: And it uh his his analysis and critique and his his exegesis of the passage is is really hard to refute and 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 it so changed the message of the text. and yeah. I, and, and then when you read, you know, and, and you know, Scott, Dr. Red, you know how big Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah is on the heart and heart matters and you know your lectures have always emphasized you know the significance of that. Uh, Dr. Klein always felt that Jeremiah really, when he is preaching the New Covenant heart passages, Deuteronomy is essentially, or Jeremiah is essentially preaching from Deuteronomy thirty. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Ezekiel talks about the heart of flesh, he's preaching from Deuteronomy thirty. When Isaiah is preaching uh, this, it's all these guys. Whenever they're preaching the new covenant in the latter prophets, the Isaiah and Malachi stuff, their source text is Deuteronomy 30. That's why it's so important. And, and when they are, when they preach from it, they are all saying the same thing. Repentance, obedience is a blessing the Lord gives to you. It is not contingent or your restoration is not contingent on you being obedient and, uh, and, uh, repenting and, uh, and, he shows how they are all saying this. So I, I always found it was unfortunate that uh, it wasn't available. none of his publications has it. Nowhere does he actually say what he says in Deuteronomy. But even his book, you know, he did extensive work in Deuteronomy, and nowhere does he say that even in his commentaries on Deuteronomy. So this must have been a late development mm-hmm. in his thinking. This change, hmm. and um, so I just basically put this down in a in an article and said That's this right. is what he thinks, uh, and um, and just make it available to for the church to benefit and gain from, or disagree from, or at least to have some dialogue. Yeah. And, so.
0: and and for him, like, he would have to say. Does, so does he say Deuteronomy thirty is. A part of the Mosaic Covenant, this blessing of...
1: Yeah, Dr. Klein would say, and I think this is that he's right, that Moses, uh, as the paradigm prophet from Deuteronomy 18, mm-hmm. did both a, a a prosecuting of the lawsuit, mm-hmm. but he had to do it uh, prophetically, obviously, since Israel hadn't quite violated the lawsuit during... during well, yeah. he, they did, but at least to the magnitude that the latter prophets do that. uh, His lawsuit is more anticipating the fact that Israel will violate these terms. Thus, here are the the legal uh, ramifications of that. But um, Moses did that, but Moses also proclaimed the new covenant. Uh, So when you read the Mosaic text, you know, the Genesis to Deuteronomy stuff, even Deuteronomy alone, you should be able to find Moses doing both. Which is why when Paul can t- cite law and gospel, his source is the same. It's Moses, because mm-hmm. Moses was doing both. So, yeah. um, so he would say in Deuteronomy, it's not just law; it is also gospel. And you know, and then and then it's up to us as the students to kind of parse out when he's doing which, and 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 for him the new covenant stuff of uh, the new heart of Deuteronomy thirty is all New Covenant type, type material.
0: So. Mm-hmm. This is how Jeremiah uses it too. You know, this right. is, and <clears throat> you know, for Moses, it's not just returning to the old thing, it's returning to a better thing than your fathers had, right? You'll right. have right. more than your forefathers had when they were in the land. Right, you that's exactly more in the restoration. And that's
1: exactly than, the language right, Deuteronomy and Jeremiah 30. uses right.
0: that in his book of New Covenant, this will involve this New Covenant that will be a part of the restoration yeah, so, all the forgiveness of sins and acquittal right. and word being written on your heart and all those things that Moses had anticipated. Yep, yeah. that's so beautiful. that's great.
1: So you know, uh, you know, all of our classes, I think, in at least biblical classes, I would think, we cite Luke twenty-four mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much every class that we do, and mm-hmm. we ought to. I think that's yeah. that's an important text uh, as biblical test studies goes, biblical theology goes. Uh, what I found myself doing over the years is citing Deuteronomy 30 just as frequently. Yeah, yeah. And, it's one of those touchstone Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, it's like Genesis 3, you know, uh, Genesis 12, 15, 17, the Abraham stuff, the Exodus. There are certain key passages that we just cite all the time. And I found myself talking about Deuteronomy 30 all the time. And so I thought, you know, why, why don't we just try to make this more available and see it. Yeah. It's awesome see how that how that goes So,
0: but you've also done a lot of work on abraham i have so tell, tell us about that
1: uh the other project in addition to leviticus this mo uh, uh uh this uh, klein article is uh is a book that i've been working on for a long time on the abrahamic covenant yeah the uh abrahamic covenant has kind of developed into a fairly uh, you know, my thoughts on it have really developed and grown over the years. Uh, I spend a lot of time, as students will know, um, on lecturing on the Abrahamic Covenant. Though It takes up a lot of time. So I figure, you know, uh, let's write a book. Uh, let's make students read it. That way they can stop criticizing me for never making it to Deuteronomy and Genesis to Deuteronomy. That actually is one of the motives behind. It, right? we're, we're all motivated by our faculty reviews, right?
2: Like the student evaluations, just basically determines.
1: We we take it genuinely to heart. <laughs> We've missed you, Peter. <laughs> I don't know how to say that without sounding curmudgeonly.
0: We've well, already I'm got a great. You've got a great section on Leviticus now. So we're ready, ready to move beyond Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, yeah.
1: indeed. So uh so yeah, I've I've thought a lot about Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant. It's it's grown. Those lectures have, have nothing but gotten bigger uh in my classes. And so um could you summarize
2: that maybe for our audience? I mean, uh yeah, and the even why
1: you, you got so interested in it. Well, um it's in the Bible, that's why I got interested in it. The um That didn't sound curmudge, actually <laughs> just just <so> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of us has got to be cremated. You guys like each other too much. I mean, it comes out clearly on the podcast. The uh, oh, by the way, I have to say for the record. I I've been following the 10 commandments over the last 6 months. great stuff. I mean, seriously, you guys don't need me at all. You guys are awesome oh. just on your own. Um but, uh what I uh what I tried to do is um and I've talked to both, uh, to all of you about this at some level, um, is take Paul, not Paul, take Moses' words in Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, I can't get past Deuteronomy. To take uh, what the Lord shared to Abraham in Genesis 12, the great nation promise there, I will make you into a great nation. And to uh, then take some of the big biblical theological themes that you find really from I mean, from Abraham, but definitely from the Garden, but absolutely from Abraham on, and to see that what the Lord has been doing in some of these uh, big Abra- in these big redemptive themes is actually just outworkings of that one promise that God made to Abraham. So, um, you know, in the context of Genesis 12, Abraham left his family, his his ancient homeland of uh, uh, of the Aramean territories up north, as you know. uh, He left his uh, father, uh, and the Lord promised him that he would make him into a great nation. But the implication then is that he's going to give him a new group of people, a new homeland, and a new authority figure. But that all seems to be encapsulated in that one promise of a great nation promise. So now we know the great nation is eventually going to be Israel, typologically, the New heavens and the new earth, the kingdom of God, eschatologically. But if you think about all the, rant, all the different themes that the Lord is working through in the history of salvation, the development of the people of God, oh. uh, the land theme that is so prominent everywhere, the, uh, the, the theme of law and law-keeping or law-breaking, um, the promise of kingship, uh, which Abraham was promised that kings would come from his line, which we see you know, in the Davidic line, that all of these different themes that seem kind of atomized and independent and lacking cohesion actually does have cohesion. It's all different uh, particular uh, ways that the Lord is fulfilling that one promise of a nation to Abraham.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so the book is basically trying to take those four themes of the promised people, the promised land, promised fulfillment of the law, the promise of kingship, and see how that first is sourced in Abraham, and then to kind of develop those themes uh, throughout the history of salvation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, that's essential. So what does it work kind of like... Um,
2: You've you've got this the Abrahamic covenant then as a kind of hub for talking
1: about really biblical theology in general. That's in a sense, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I guess if if I were to think, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, forty years from now, and you know, the, the unspoken tradition of Old Testament scholars mm-hmm. is at the tail end of our careers, uh, we write a Old Testament theology yeah. or a history of Israel, some way to kind of consolidate. Our thinking's in totally. It's in, it, you know. Uh, Bruce Waltke has done that. You know. Martin Noth has done that. Gerhard von Rad has done that. It's now you know we're not. I'm not a caliber thinker like that. But I guess if I had to, 40 years from now, it would be essentially something like the Abrahamic covenant yeah. in action, that type of thing, yeah. God's faithfulness
2: to Abraham, kind of thing, as a, as a way of thinking about and organizing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We are saved because of the promise God made to Abraham. In other words, the promises that he made to Abraham is things that the Lord is still doing in our day -day. today. Acts and Romans is is fresh on my mind. That was my intensive over the
2: winter, and we I I always remember Dr. Gaffin would get to the lengthy, the end of his, you know, these lengthy theological discussions and they quote the Westminster, or as the Westminster Confession of Faith would say, and that's so, a good invitation. Hey, thanks. Well, I appreciate it. So I, I tried to do that in Acts and Romans. And so we got to the end of our Romans discussion, I said, or as we've always sung in Sunday school, Father Abraham had many sons.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny that. It's how like that... Right
2: there in Romans 9, right?
1: Yeah, it's funny how that children's song is so rich and accurate in its biblical theology. Yeah, you know, How can I be a child of Abraham? Yeah. You know... If, it, if it's not based on covenant and, and the outworking you know, of that covenant, it's great. So,
0: so when when can we expect to see that work? What are your plans? The work
1: is more or less done. It it needs some significant editing. Uh, I was rereading one of the chapters, and it, it you know it's embarrassing that you wrote it the way that you did. It just needs to be cleaned up. So once I get it significantly cleaned up, then I'll uh, start. I don't have an uh, a publisher. Mm-hmm. So I'll start shopping it around and see what interest it gets.
0: So publishers, you, your work's cut out for you. As you're listening to this podcast, that you need to publish this work. I'm uh, speaking uh, to the publishers in our oh, audience yeah. right now. Yeah, just, I'm breaking. I'm breaking the fourth wall, as it were. Yeah,
2: worked. we we've got Peter's phone number. We'll be able to help <laughs> hook you up with him.
0: <laughs> that sounds great. I look forward to it, Abraham. You cannot. You cannot overestimate the importance of Abraham to Old Testament theology. I look and, forward to seeing your work on it. Indeed. Excellent. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, thank you for joining us this week to talk about the work of Dr. Lee's sabbatical. We look forward to seeing the fruit of that labor both in the classroom and online. And can you check out the Gospel Coalition commentary on yeah, Leviticus not, yet? Is I'm that not available? sure when it's available. Okay. But, uh, so... We'll keep an eye out for that. It's been great talking, and it's great. It's just wonderful to have you back in the room with us. It's great, actually, to be in the room with all of you. Mm-hmm. We're Keeps not doing really this looking at screens anymore, but we're actually sitting here with each other. And that's fantastic. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. We look forward to being with you again in the weeks ahead. If you have any questions, please go to the show notes. You can see a link there to where you can post a question for us to answer in the future, in a future episode. If you'd like to learn more about Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., or all of these esteemed scholars to whom you've been listening or teaching, uh, please uh, come online to rts.edu forward slash Washington. We'd love to start that conversation with you. It's been great talking and being with you today. We look forward to next time. Until then, take care.
2: i